the Cardboard Mechanics Podcast, where we take a look under the hood of board games and talk about the mechanisms and narratives that drive design. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron Wilson, that's Internet Magic on Twitter. I'm here with my audio partner. I am John Prather, uh, Anger Tetris on Twitter. And we're doing a podcast today, once again. This is episode six, and today we're going to be talking about a specific time track. I don't know if you guys listened to the last episode, but we talked all about time tracks and different games that had those time tracks in them. And today we're going to be talking specifically about Glenmore. And John is really going to be the one leading this discussion as he has a lot more insight than I do. We did play this game um, and John really uh, kind of destroyed me in that game, but I did have a lot of fun playing it. And John has a great understanding of kind of where they went when they went from Glenmore 1 to Glenmore 2, and then also has uh, a better understanding of I don't know what they're not expansions. What are they called? The Chronicles. The, the Chronicles. That's Glenmore Two go. Chronicles. Yeah. So yeah, Glenmore was uh, definitely like one of my Grail games. I, th- I think I discussed that in the first or second episode about how that's like one of the games I've been chasing forever. And of course, like as soon as I got Glenmore One, they announced Glenmore Two like a couple weeks later. Uh, of, of course. Um, but uh, you know how it is the the old Dell commercial. You're driving home with the brand new computer, and then the billboard shows the next generation being announced. So. Um, um, yeah, it's a it's definitely like a, a, a really cool game. Uh, Glenmore 1 uh, and Glenmore 2 are very similar. If you've played one, uh, you'll know enough about the other to kind of know what we're talking about. They're both really similar in ways. But honestly, I even think it's possible to uh enjoy them both they kind of have a little different feels to them i think glenmore 2's got a lot of because of the chronicles has some like mutability to it some kind of you know i guess replayabilities the the catchphrase these days so we'll say that but uh, i like variability variability yeah so so i mean there's a lot of buzzwords you can apply there but i think it's got a (laughs) lot of lot of uh um a lot of meat on the bones uh to dig into so um really i think the main thing i want to do is kind of talk about this this time track. So uh, we'll preface this: the rule book calls it a rondelle. Um, I think it has enough similarity to a rondelle, but it's technically a time track. But we're not here to be pedantic. Really, what we want to do is we want to analyze this mechanic. We're not here to like put things in buckets and assign things a role. We want to talk about how these mechanics are being utilized in a cool way how they make that game tick, how they make it feel good, and kind of what this mechanic is doing so that you can kind of process it and think about it and hopefully inspire some, you know, aspiring designers to go, wow, I want to make a time track. Um, You know, we're going to talk about a lot of different mechanics here and, you know, maybe someday we'll even talk about mechanics we don't care for that much and, you know, what games don't right and what (laughs) games don't wrong. Um, You know, and and so, but here, this is definitely like like time tracks are like, a really solid fun mechanic um and i think that like so many games have done it well already and i'm just excited to keep seeing it like being used because i think it's so so fun so um having said that i want to hey i want to go on record and just say i am okay using the term rondelle when referring to a roundish component Uh, a component where you do go around in a circle uh as as movement to do whatever however I don't subscribe to the idea that it's a rondelle mechanic, which I think is a difference. And that's something that we kind of mm-hmm. uh, laid down the law on in, in a previous episode. <laughs> so, all right, so let's continue. 
Well, and also to be fair, all the tiles in Glenmore are squares. The track is a rectangle. There's nothing round about it. Like that, you yeah. can't. <laughs> Ge- geometrically, it's kind of, just all wrong. right. Yeah, you're going around in a square, which is, it's that doesn't it just doesn't sound right when you're saying <laughs> going around in a square. <laughs> uh, geometry be damned. Sure. <laughs> Um, okay, so really the time track. I think the time track does one thing super well. That is kind of the way uh, that it makes you choose between time and resources um, and kind of uh, what you're giving up. So um, I am going to kind of explain more of the game as a whole to and kind of how this relates and kind of as we go along you don't need to entirely know how the game is played um i can't show you a picture i do talk with my hands a lot and you can't see that but uh you, you may uh if you don't know the game i definitely like just take a cursory glance at some pictures of it but um the biggest thing it does you have it have this track uh and as we dictated earlier it is not round it's a rectangle um and there's player pieces on it and there are tiles that you can take and draft into your place on your field. It's like a tile placement game. Um, and whoever's in the back of the pack gets to move next. And you can move as many spaces as you like. There's no cost for number of spaces or anything like that. You just choose the space you'd like to move to, set your little uh, marker down and take that tile, place it in your field and do some stuff with it. So the interesting thing here is um, you have to choose kind of what you want to do um you could just go the slow route and take whatever tiles at the back and just take lots of tiles uh there's a penalty for that at the end of the game because you have more tiles than other players you lose points there's also you could jump really far ahead and take the tile you want but then you're going to get less turns and maybe less choice you have to pass up tiles and once you pass a tile there's no going back it's gone um so it's a really interesting mechanic and i think a lot of time tracks do this thing where um you're choosing quality or quantity i think is like the the big the big word here um and aaron when you were playing it kind of did you feel that pressure a lot of times of like you know what tiles are what yeah, and I wanted lots of tiles. And so I found that to be difficult to kind of deal with. I thought, well, I could take a bunch of tiles up front and kind of slow down towards the end, but you were already kind of ahead of me in that respect. And I realized at some point there was kind of nothing I could do <laughs> to to slow down the number of tiles I was getting because you don't get those actions if you're not taking tiles, right, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, right. Or if you know if you're jumping too far ahead, and watching you take action after action after action, I'm like, okay, I'm not getting the things that I need now at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Now in, in Glenmore too, I know there are these sort of people tiles. What were those called? Um. Anyway, I, I, it was new to Glenmore too, where if you take sort of this person, you get to do these other actions on this sort of map. Uh, that gave you uh, extra things that you might need that didn't necessarily interact with your own kind of tile placement, right? Mm-hmm. And so those those set off to the side and those didn't count as a penalty. So I ended up going for those kind of late uh, in order to to try to slow down <laughs> the number of tiles that I had, but I was still ahead of you by like five, I think at the end or something. But you had you had gotten some sort of power that gave you like minus a few. So 
it didn't matter. Like even though we were almost at the same level, you'd gotten something that lessened the amount for yourself. Do you remember mm-hmm. what that was? Um, I don't remember what the it's three points per tile. I don't remember what it or what what it was, but I do know that I, I definitely beat you by quite a bit of tiles. Yeah. I was a little more efficient. Um, when you're taking tiles in Glenmore and Glenmore Two, wherever you place it, you get to activate all the tiles adjacent to you, which make means you like have this compulsion. You're like, oh, I want to take all the tiles to do all the activations, and I want to place them next to all the friends and. But there's a couple things that are kind of like restricting that. One, again, is that that minus three points. And the other one is also that some of the tiles have a river or a road. In Glenmore 1, there's a, both a river and a road. And your river runs is a vertical line and your road is a horizontal line. You have to stick the tiles on the river or the road. And then I think in Glenmore 2, it's just the road. But still, it gives you a little bit of a restriction where you have to build in a certain pattern a little bit. Um, but yeah, it does a really good thing to like kind of restrict you. So like you've got a lot of forces at play and if it weren't for the point loss, you would just take every town you saw because yeah. you'd be like, wow, that's free stuff. I'll take it. And in Glenmore too, there is a, a feature where you can actually, there are certain tiles you can place on top of other tiles. So it doesn't count against the number mm-hmm. of tiles that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sort of upgrading instead those seem to kind of help in that arena as well. Yeah, yeah, that's another way you can like get a benefit without uh, getting, taking on the burden of uh, point loss, but then also being able to activate spaces again, which kind of threw off my math a little bit. Uh, like, because uh, our, our play was my first play at Glenmore 2. I had read about it, I've seen plays, and um, but I've played plenty of games at Glenmore 1, and you kind of know this is the most times I can activate a tile with that. Now that threw a wrinkle in things for me. So I guess for somebody who had never played Glenmore 1, that's just a thing. But to me, it was like, oh, wow, this revelation. Yeah, it was, it was actually pretty cool because you could play a tile in the middle uh, that you hadn't been able to touch in a long time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you weren't going to activate it ever again if it's so far kind of deep in into the middle of this thing and mm-hmm. activate all those tiles around it and really yep. get a lot a big bang for your buck that way. Yeah, so it was really interesting just because the, the thing you're always looking at in that game is what tiles can you take? How are you going to be able to use them, convert them to points? You have like markets that you can like sell your like cattle and sheep at for, for points. Um, I assume they're just being sent off to a farm somewhere to live a happy life. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you have, you take like your stone to build castles, which I assume you just send off to a, to a farm somewhere to live a happy life. And then you have like, um, different, uh, what are they called? Breweries where you're like making whiskey, which you are definitely sending off to a home to have a happy life. You know, it's just a game about happy lives, honestly. That's, that's the whole thing of the yeah. game. But, um, yeah, I was really battling so. you for those, for those whiskeys. Yeah, yeah. I which think I ended up winning the whiskeys. You, you did. I took I took an early lead, and you were, and then I just kind of got lazy after I had too many whiskeys, and <laughs> you caught up. To I me. went I went hard for the whiskey. It's yeah. true. Um, but yeah, so yeah, and the the part of the scoring in the game I think is also really interesting, and this leads to an interesting factor. Uh, we played two player, um, and I've played which actually Glenmore 2 only plays up to four, whereas Glenmore 1 plays five. Um, I don't think it's like that big of a deal because five is like, it's playable at five. You really would rather play with less, um, but, it, but it does play. Um, but 
something you kind of notice in like uh, in a different player count game is that your scoring is based on being compared to whoever has the least of categories. Um, and so that adds another layer to that pressure of the time track. So one cool thing about the time track, and, and, and this is a mechanic I love in games in general, is kind of the ability to temper your play based on what other people do if you want um because like for me it's a really big deal when you're playing a game and you can like i love multiplayer solitaire games like i love a game where i take my turn and i'm doing my thing i'm in my own little bubble and then when we're done we look up and i go i scored 98 points and, and aaron goes i scored 36 points and i'm like yeah that's that's the average that's a bit usually what's happening <laughs> see that makes me feel good and aaron can do his thing and be like yeah look at me i scored 36 points and then we play again and aaron scores 38 and he feels really good and me i scored 115 this time so like it's all, all right. it all feels really good I'm going to keep bragging about this. Don't, <laughs> but, but anyways, I, I love that kind of bubble thing, but this game also gives you the opportunity to look up um, because I can look across and go, okay, Aaron has a lot of cattle and sheep. So Aaron probably wants that tile there. So if I go here, they're going to go there. And then like, you can kind of like gauge where you think people are going to go and you can't hundred percent predict them all the time, but you can kind of make some assumptions based on what they're doing, what you want to do. Um, and it all ties back into that time track uh, because when you're passing up things, you have to think about what you're passing up and how long it's going to be, what tiles are they going to take, where are they going to go next? And it like makes this really good balance of utilizing that time track in a really cool way to push the game along and, and like make it to where people don't just take every single tile the whole game all of the pressures really get at that i think there's an inherent sort of tension that happens with the time track as well um you know when we were playing i remember thinking god i really hope he doesn't take that tile like he has an opportunity to take the tile that i have my eye on and i would be very happy when you would skip ahead of that and then that damn dummy player uh, would sometimes take the tile I wanted. <laughs> I'd be real. Oh. I had no one to be angry at, but the night and that air. mechanic is so good too. Oh, <laughs> I love it. So there, there's a if you're playing with a, a lot of games when you have to play with a dummy player, it's like the most frustrating mechanic ever. Um, and I will say it's a little frustrating in this one, but like I love the way it's executed. You just have a die that has simple. three ones, three twos, and a three. So you kind of know half the time it's going to move one space. Uh, and the other half of the time, it's going to move more. Every time it's their turn, you roll the die and they move that many spaces and just take that tile. And they don't keep they don't keep score. They don't place the tiles, nothing. They just kind of eat some tiles out of it. They kind of mimic another player who's just kind of doing stuff and things. Keep the tiles fresh. It's pretty cool. It's like a really good little crisp mechanic. When, when you're playing like an AI or you're playing like a dummy player, they don't need to play the game. You don't need to write a full AI of instructions. It just kind of needs to simulate that there's some other player doing some other thing. And that's what it does. It's great. It's perfect. Love it. Wouldn't have it any other yeah. way. I, I love it when it's not taking the tiles that I want. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love it when it's doing its own thing. You know, it has its own yeah. its own brain. Um, but, I uh, mean, still, you can look at the odds. You can kind of go, oh, yeah, it's a pretty good chance it's going to take that tile. Right. So, man, God, there's just so many good schemes. Such a... Uh, anyways, uh, I'm just giddy to talk about this one. This game, I, I love it. So time versus resources, kind of that's the big thing. Is, and I think that's the story of the time track is just 
always trying to balance. I mean, Matthias Kramer is a designer, also designed Craft Wagon. I think that one does it really well too. Um, you've got like Takedo. Uh, a lot of these great greats you think of when they're using this mechanic, you're always trying to balance how far do I want to go? And I think they do it really good. And this game just has amazing like choices to make. And uh, the tile placement part of it too leads into that, right? Where so in Glenmore 1, you have the river and the road. In Glenmore 2, you just have the road. But that still forces the tile placement on some of them. And that also makes for some interesting choices uh, as well. So the tile placement to it. And, and in, you know, we're getting off onto a, like a different mechanic here a little bit. But uh, we're just kind of gushing about how they interact really more, more than anything. Um, when you're taking these tiles, you have to immediately place them. There's no bank for them. You don't get to store them for later. You just immediately got to place them. And you have to have a, a little... Uh, I think they're called villagers in the second. I know they're called clansmen in the first one. I think they're called villagers hmm. in the second. But you have little little, uh, little figures, uh, and they're just moving around uh, your place trying to give you... you got a place next to them. So that's another pressure you need to manage, is you need to place next to your uh, villages. That way you're moving them around. Uh, you also need to... Um, you know, make sure that you leave yourself spaces open, but you want to place them next to tiles so that you can get more activations. But then you leave yourself less tile opportunities in the future. And it's just this constant, never-ending, like, battle of, like... And, and, I, and I'm selling this game as, like, this game that is, like, a seven-hour epic adventure game. And it's really... It's, like, a I think Glenmore 2 is probably, like, 90 minutes at the most. Like, if you tried to make it take that long. I don't even think it took Um, us that long. Yeah, the box says 90 to 120. But, like, really, that that includes, like... Okay. That's, like, game off the shelf, put it on the table, start the timer. Like, and then then you end the timer when it's back on the shelf. Like, it's it's not going to take two hours most time. It is a longer game than Glenmore 1, which I think is probably, like, 75. Box says 45 to 70. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's crisp. How many rounds? Are there three? Uh, like there l- are... Larger rounds. Um, the Glenmore one has like the pre-tiles and then A, B, and C. And then Glenmore two, I believe, had A, B, C, and D. But I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Glenmore one is zero, one, two, three, And then... Glenmore 2 is ABCD, but it's still the same thing where there's like three scoring rounds and an end of game deal. So yeah, it's it's pretty much identical. Um, and the rounds are based on um, tiles, right? So as players are moving around the track, uh, you're adding new tiles to the track. Those will trigger when those piles run out, that will trigger scoring. Um, so the game is kind of tempered uh, by how far the players are going. If the players are skipping lots of tiles, um, then it's going to go a little faster if players are taking their time and putting along with lots of stuff, and then the scoring is coming a little sooner. So you can kind of, oh man, I'm behind on all the scoring categories. I'm going to take a little longer. Um, so yet again, another factor wedged on that time track. I find that a really good mechanic for kind of tracking time for a round where you have a limited resource that runs out mm-hmm. that tells you when that round ends. And I think that's kind of... The perfect way to do it if you're doing a tile placement game is that you have mm-hmm. those piles of, of tiles. I think that sort of simplicity is overlooked all too often. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I don't like about games that have sort of a tracker off to the side that you're supposed to remember to move to keep track of the round and where you are in it 
uh, it's, it's much easier and more intuitive when you have something that you're using and when it runs out, you know immediately there's nothing else you can do except to go to the next sort of pile. Mm-hmm. I think that's oh, yeah. Yeah. very it, intuitive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no, did we forget to move the tracker? Did we move it twice? Whose turn right. is in? How many rounds do we have left? How many, you know, no, you just, you just go until the piles, tile of piles is out and you pile, pile, tile, tile, tile of piles, tile, <laughs> the stack, you go until the stack is out. Um, and then once the stack is out, it's over. like, it's, yeah, it's a physical stack sitting there on the table. You don't have to let, you can count it if you, I think, I think you're allowed to count it. I don't know if the rules exclude that explicitly, but, um, you know, you, you just, go till it's out it's not a not a huge uh, you know commitment you don't have to remember where you're at in the rounds and you know speaking of remembering where you're at how many uh raise your hand uh and not too fast if you've ever said whose turn is it you don't ever need to say that in this game because you look right. at the track and whoever's in back is next it's genius yeah. it does all the like this game has you know such big energy in like allowing the players to play the game and make all sorts of decisions and play against the other players, you're not fighting with, you know, lots of tracks and like other players that you're like trying to, you know, wrangle and see what they're like. I don't know. It's it just like, it's very pure and that it lets you play the game. I, I think. Yeah. And you're right. That's just such a, such a good mechanism. Like one of my favorites is race for the galaxy. And one of the end conditions is when somebody's played 12 cards, it's very easy to see how many cards people have played or when the pile of victory points is out, there's a pile in the middle of the table and it depletes. So like, those are like two really easy conditions to kind of keep track of um, and, and see when, when the game's going to end. So like, I, I yeah. love that mechanism. I love it. Yeah. So another uh, really cool thing. This is exclusive to Glenmore two. I've heard talks of people trying to implement them back in one. And I, I guess you could, um, but Glenmore two has what are called the Chronicles. And I don't have a ton of experience. I've played with one of them. I played the, uh, the Highlander, the mountain, um, but I haven't played with all of them. I've kind of read through a little bit, kind of a, a brief preview on what a lot of them do, but they're like little modules. When they were publishing this game, uh, Stefan uh, Rule, I believe his last name, was talking about how uh, they wanted to follow the one-thirds rule, keeping one-third of the game as is, improving one-third, adding one-third of new elements. These chronicles, uh, and also kind of the people track, which sits off of the side, kind of haven't talked about it a whole lot because it's not super tied into the time track. But um, one of the thirds they added is the Chronicles, and they do some interesting things. Some of them utilize, a lot of them utilizing the tile placement, but the one I played, and the reason I played with it is because it directly interacts with the time track. It actually adds a little mountain on two of the spaces, and it's Highlander. There can only be one, so only one player can go on it. (laughs) And... When you pass over the mountain, you have to put something on it. You can put whatever resource you want on it. But when you leave the mountain, you get to take everything that's on it. And so that was a really cool thing because it actually kind of had some effects on the time track and that people were like passing it. And you and you it's you'd only pass it every time you went around. So that's like two and a half times a stack, I think. I, I don't remember the exact math on that, but you know, it wasn't super often, but it was there, it was always relevant. It also meant there were a few less tiles uh, on the track which was kind of cool. It made the decision space a little tighter, a little tougher. Sometimes you had to jump a little further ahead. Um, You also had kind of this constant tax. So like it added a lot of good pressures. And I thought that was a really cool thing to see that static 
object used in a time track. And I don't know of many things. I've seen some rondelles do that where you have like a like a line you pass that says, mm -hmm. all right, when you pass this line, you gain income, you pay taxes or what what have you. Um, and so I thought that was kind of interesting because that brought it a little closer to feeling like a rondelle um, than say the, the original time track because uh, there was something static about it. Um, I thought that was super interesting. So I think the the chronicles were just like a like such a cool thing. Um, and also, I mean, I think in general for games, there's so many times when I know me and you were like kind of working on a design together, and we're like, well, how would people like to play this? Like some people like to draft starting powers. Some people just want fixed powers. Some people don't want powers at all. Uh, yeah. Some people want to play to 10 points. Some people want to play to 50 points. You know, it's <laughs> like a thing where the Chronicles, I think, did a really cool thing in that they allow you to customize your experience a little bit. And not just within the time track. Some of them also just use the tile placement aspect more. One of them is like a boat race. One of them has to do more with whiskey. Another one with haggis. So I assume uh, your, your sheep's. Uh, sheep stomachs so you know a lot of different things going on there uh and but like i said the one i, I picked was one that messed with the time track uh and i thought that was super cool nice let me see any games that you can think of that kind of use like static points in the time track i guess takaido right yeah so takaido you've got like the meals i'm sure there's plenty others and i please tag us in socials wherever if you got cool examples of that and i love cool games so raids Raids. Raids. Right? Yep. It's sort of that circular Takedo in a way mm -hmm. um, with several rounds kind of involved. And it, it does that. I think you have a few stops where it's just like, it's just points. It seems sort of boring, but it does provide like a variety, you know, compared to all the different kind of set collecting and scoring conditions and all, all the other things that happen around that the edge of that board. Yeah, and, and I think it's kind of a cool thing to to add. But the piled stacks of tiles in uh, Glen, Glenmore and Glenmore 2 both add like a, like stopping points. And I think that's kind of cool in games to have like little points where you can like stop and assess. And like a miniature scoring round is honestly like a super cool thing to get people back in the flow of things. Because if your game only has endgame scoring... It can be really hard for a newbie to have any sort of gauge on where they're at or what they're doing. But if you stop right. in the middle and you go, all right, let's score some points. Let's look at how many points everybody has. Let's go on. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that kind of helped you, like like you were talking about the whiskey earlier, where I had a whole lot of whiskey early and you were like, oh, man, you're about to score a lot of points. I, I got to get in on that. Yeah. Yeah, really, I had to try to offset <laughs> how many more points you were going to get than me. Mm -hmm. That and I think that's something that's done pretty well in Glenmore too. Is you're not just getting a, a set amount of points for something that you have; you're getting a certain amount of points based on the difference between you and the next player and the amount that they have. That adds some tension. I I really appreciate that design decision. Yeah, and it does scale up to a certain point and at a point it's just uh you have so many more that you don't I think if you have five more you get eight points yeah. and then yeah. six more, seven more, eight more, it doesn't matter how many more, you just don't get it's more all just points. Five. Right. Um and, and I think that's a really good thing simply because you know, you can go for the deny of like, well, I have enough whiskey now and I don't want you getting any, so I'm going to take every whiskey, but at that point you're maybe losing out somewhere else and maybe yeah. you're being a little inefficient you're being wasteful again, yeah 
taking too many tiles is bad. So um, it leads back into that same pressure. But then also you still have to kind of keep up with uh, keep up with the Joneses or uh, I, I I don't know that that's probably not a traditional Scottish last name. So, you know, um, but you got to keep up with the uh, uh, the other other uh, clans. And that, I, you bring up a really good point. And it's it's something that's that's always interesting in a game um, in Seven Wonders, which I play on my phone quite a bit. Mm-hmm. When you take military, you don't really want to take every military you see to have mm-hmm. military dominance. You want to always just have one more than everyone else. And that's, right. you know, if, if that's your strategy. Um, because if somebody has two and you have eight, how many cards have you passed by and wasted uh, that you could have gotten points in another way? Because you're only going to get that mm-hmm. one point for that one win. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So So it's fixed each round. In the first round, you or score one point. Uh, it's one point in the first round if you beat the player to your left or your right for each player. Yeah. Then three yeah. in the next round, then five in the last round. So a max right. of 18 points in a game. Um, and then you just lose two points if you get beat. So yeah. there's like a, there's like a static amount, max amount you can lose. There's a max amount you can gain. And you're just trying to get as much of that as possible in as few of cards as possible. And it's kind of the same way in Glenmore, right? Where like you don't yeah. really want to take every tavern you can. You kind of just want to take one, maybe two taverns and just win the whiskey that way. But then what if they take two taverns? What about you? So um, how do you how do you fire back and how do you do that most efficiently? It's a, it's a super tight puzzle and it does require you to look up sometimes. And I think that's good, but it doesn't do it in a way that means you have to 40 moves ahead your opponent and figure out what they're going to be doing and nor could you because the time track's limited it doesn't display all the tiles for the whole game so we've been preaching about this game or i'm sorry me i've been preaching about this game you've been listening to me talk for (laughs) (laughs) but i think this game does so many things well and i cannot think of a better delivery method than the time track i cannot I, i don't think any you could take all of the mechanics of glenmore give it a different method to get to deliver the tiles and it would be half the game. It's the perfect mechanism and it fits so well because everything is tied back to that pressure of I want everything, but there's a penalty and there's also other players who also want everything, but there's a penalty. So you're all deeply intertwined and entangled with one another on all these choices. Uh, But in a way that also lets you just kind of go, I like sheep. I'll take the sheep tile. Yeah, I, I think it's a really smart design to take something that is sort of multiplayer solitaire and create so much tension between players. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's engineered in a way that that takes away multiplayer solitaire without take that. Yeah, It's really smart. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we've preached this one up and down. Uh, any kind of crazy thoughts on this one? Like, how, how? Like, the time track is definitely like the key mechanic that keeps this game ticking. It's the time track mixed with the uh, tile placement. But of course, we're talking about the time track today. Um, how do you think this one? The you know the the time track. What what's the key thing that stands out to you about the time track in the in these games? Yeah, I you know it, it's funny. I I I played the Gaia Project the other day. Uh, it's a very long game. Um, it's good. It, if you've played Terra Mystica, you 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 know how Gaia Project works. Mm-hmm. You have this sort of little tracker to to know whose turn it is, and and that's changing through the whole game. 
And if you're not paying enough attention, somebody might forget from the round to round, oh, I'm after this person. And that changes. So you start to forget and you got to look at the thing. That, I, I know we messed up. I know somebody took more than one turn when they weren't supposed to, um, which isn't a huge deal because you end up passing in that game anyway. And it might not matter that much. But that kind of thing just doesn't ever happen with a time track. And that's what I really, really like about time tracks is that, and you said it earlier, you always know whose turn it is. Mm -hmm. And that's just really refreshing to just know right away. Okay. And, and to even, you see how much space you have in between you. You have, you see how many options you have to the next player. And, oh my God, am I going to, I could take all of these if I wanted. I could just Go up one, take that one, go up the next one, take that one, go up the next one, take that one. It's still my turn. It's amazing. It's such a cool mm -hmm. little mechanic and feeling. And of course, the way they offset that that sort of hoarding mentality is to is to penalize uh, mm -hmm. for taking and having too many. That time track really does make that game. And that's that's what I, I do love about uh, mm -hmm. a time track. Yeah. And for me, I like it as like an alternative to like a market mechanic, because um, like a lot of games will do like the sliding market mechanic where yeah, you have yeah. this market out and the, the card on the left is the cheapest card on the right is the most expensive. And as you buy one, the rest slide down. Maybe sometimes you put resources on them. There's some sort of mechanism to buy them. And I think that's a really cool mechanic. Um, and then you just kind of go around the table and everybody buys cards or does whatever. But I think this does, like, like I said, I, I don't think any other method of delivery of these tiles would work as well. And I haven't seen another game do anything quite as clever as this. Uh, and so yeah. I like that distribution. It just, to me, it beats out any of the other ways of delivering the tiles because you're paying with not just like, you know, a, a solid current. You don't just have coins and you buy tiles with coins. Um, you don't just have, uh, you know, like a like a set number of turns, a set number of drafts. There's not an order. It's all in flux. You're paying with temporal currency, you know, time. You're, you know, how many tiles you get. You're competing against other players for jockeying for position, waiting for new things to come out. The stacks always contain the same tiles. Um, so, you know eventually that castle is going to show up. Where's it at in the stack? So like, if you've played it enough times, you kind of start to know where those are. So like, I mean, even that level like, starts to, you know, really blossom after multiple plays. And it's a thing where like, I know in my many, many plays of Glenmore 1, I would know, oh, well, Loch Ness is coming out. I want that one. Uh, oh, Castle Dunard is coming out. I want that one. So like, you know, it played into that factor. And so it made itself, the, the emergence is there. You really wanted to play it more than once um to to get that feel and like it never even with the same set of tiles every time it never got tired um and yeah it's just really wonderful use i think it's like a market purchasing mechanic but like better in so many ways that's a really good point a lot of times my design intuition is to just like make a market it's like, okay mm -hmm. there's a stack of things you flip them out um, you can take one of those or you have to pay for one of those. You, know, you do it in different ways depending on, on what the game needs. But I always end up with, you know, especially when I'm designing a little heavier, I always end up with like five markets. <laughs> it's like you have this stack, you have this stack, you have this stack. These different things that I'll do uh, that give you uh, different things. You know, I'm working on one uh, with you about muralism. And how many markets do we have in that? 
three? Uh, I think three right now. We're yeah. working on, you know, uh, whack-a-mole. We're trying to <laughs> smack a few of those down. So, and I mean, yeah, yeah there, there's something to be said for the simplicity of the market. Not to knock yeah. it or anything, because if you're going to do multiple sources of like getting things like, you know, uh, Glenmore only has one source of tiles. Um, yeah. Whereas if your game had multiple, multiple sources, markets are simple. Like, right. It's yeah. super. And you can't you can't say enough about the simplicity. Time track is definitely a little more load because you have to think about options and whatever. But I think that's part of why this game is not. Uh, it's not much more than it is. Um, not to say it's not really a lot, just to say that, like, you know, it is not some sort of six hour long epic experience. Um, there's one time track, you're taking tiles off of it, you're playing into one board. Um, so it's kind of filed down in that scope. Um, yeah. Whereas if you had many different sources of tiles, you wouldn't want a time track on every single one of them. That would start to get a little unwieldy. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that. So maybe that's what we do next. Uh, yep, seven time tracks. Yeah. One game. <laughs> it's one rondelle made up of seven time tracks. It's a game about time travel. When you're traveling <laughs> across the different time tracks to different time. No, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to play that. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, never mind. We'll shelf that one for now. All right, well, uh, I, think we've, I think we've covered uh, Glenmore pretty well here. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that uh, you want to say to cap it off? Um, yeah. Um, honestly, Glenmore and Glenmore Two both really fantastic games. I'd give them both a peek. I think Glenmore Two is a lot more uh, readily available and accessible right now, and you're not really. Um, they're both good games. There's reasons to like one over the other, but either one is a good play. I, I'm not going to say, oh, well, this one's the best. They're both good games. They're both really good and fun. If you ever get a chance to play them absolutely give them a shot either one uh glenmore is the lighter smaller one it's two to five players uh it says 45 to 70 minutes glenmore 2 with the chronicles is going to run a little longer um it's 90 to 120 is what it says for two to four i don't think it'll ever take that long but you also have the chronicles you can add in you can kind of customize your experience there's definitely some more decisions it's a little longer both really good games highly recommend either of those at the very least, take a look at them and see what those mechanisms are doing because it's using the time track in such a neat, innovative way. And I think it'll make you think about uh, any game you're you're playing and how things are being distributed um, and how just the acquisition of things can be more fun and interesting. Um, yeah. You know. well, I think we're wrapping this thing up. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm Aaron Wilson. You can always... Find me on Twitter at Internet's Magic. And I'm John Prather. Uh, I can be found as Angry Tetris. All right. And we'll see you next time on the Cardboard Mechanics. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.